Welcome to the Two Hip Podcast. Uh, hello, this is Danton. This week is the only original hipster in Prussia, as my upcoming guests, one of my guests, uh, recommended. That can be the new new name this week. Welcome. It's a little bit different than usual. Uh, Dan and I entered the 72-hour urban action competition this year. It's taking place in a town called Lobeda in Germany. And we got here a couple days ago, been meeting some people, and decided to do a recording of the podcast. Dan, is there anything I'm missing? I don't know why I took the phone, because the answer is no. Um, uh, no, it's, uh, it's like, what, 6, 7 in the morning here? Um, but it's like one, 1 or 2 in the morning in our minds in some ways. I don't know. I don't, I'm not totally unjet lagged yet, but uh, yeah, there's some people, some people who are up this early that maybe we could talk to. So I think you could probably hear everyone in the background if someone's talking. You might hear people. We're in an area where a lot of people are walking in. There's a bathroom. Um, there's people char- charging everything because we're a lot of us are sleeping in. Uh, no, not a lot of us. Pretty much all of us are sleeping in tents. Um, yeah, except for people trying to be warm and hide away in warmer places. Um, so, this the normal podcast uh, is sort of about authenticity and and being true. And I think there's still some we can get into that. But I'm, there's just so many different interesting creative backgrounds from uh, literally around the world uh, that I'm kind of interested in. And uh, coincidentally, one one of them is Rienzi, who's from New York, so not that far away, um, and was actually uh, recommended to come here from Dan and works in uh, some game design as well as software, I think. Yes, he's nodding. I'm not even, I don't do games officially. Officially doesn't do yeah. games, but, but sort of on the side likes to do games. And then uh, we have uh, Adrian here, too who's from Poland originally, but lives in where now? Berlin? Yeah, between Berlin and Porto. Okay. So that's who's in the room right now with us that we're, we're talking to on the podcast. We might have more people later. And also, uh, fun fact is, this is probably going to be a little lower quality audio than usual. Um, all my uh, devices have failed me. It's very cold, as I pointed out, and i um, sleeping in the tent, and I think... That might be affecting some of the electronics. Um, so we'll see how this goes. But my phone is working, so I might do little bursts of, of audio. Explain yourself. The hostile segment where you explain you. Like you're on trial. Hey, I'm Adrian. I'm uh, an architect and designer from, well, originally from Poland. Uh, I came here to to 72 hours urban action to with a friend Wukash. We are from like, like collective called Territoria. When we are working with the theory of underperforming architecture, we talks about the the building that they are not performing well, um, and we are one. We are like looking to understand how the how the idea could be implemented in other uh, environments and other places than the now the one that we already did. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and, and last night, um, a fun thing was that uh, I guess uh, that we had a group presentations, all, all from 
as many people as wanted to present that are here. And um, you guys presented some of your work, which I thought was interesting, in kind of areas that need some help and adding some art and some culture into those areas and trying to make them more. Yeah, it was out, like it was it was like doing a social movement via art and culture, like like activating people through art and and, right. and events. And one one of them uh, sort of continued on beyond. Yeah, one one was one was one was actually happening since two thousand fifteen, mm -hmm. and it was like every year. There's like a, there's a small village on the border of Poland, Ukraine, and Slovakia, uh, far far in the middle of basically nowhere there's like 300 people living over there <laughs> and there is like old orthodox church that is uh, quite abandoned because the people uh, that uh, were belonging to this community <clears throat> in the 60s they were moved to other part of poland uh, so the so the church got abandoned and there is like basically no one caring and the people from the from the village they are not feeling it's um, it's belonging to them right. um, so the idea was to kind of bring those people from the village to the church and and make sure that they're, I mean, trying to, to reclaim the, the, the place again. Mm -hmm. um, so from 2015, in 2015, we did a, um, a small installation and then we, we continue the installation every year. And uh, now it's a festival. Now it's like a small, a small festival where people coming and the community is gathering, um, trying to, it's, it's around, the, around the church, but also it's happening in other spots. And when I say small festival, it's like 200, 250 people mm -hmm. uh, coming from outside and the other people from the village are participating. There are concerts, uh, some workshops. So about growing the community. Yeah, so this is uh, this is the speed speed dating version of this podcast where it's like I'm going to get shorter bursts of conversations from different people, I think. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, and... Uh, we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a space where there's lots of people walking by, so I, I imagine we'll be saying hi to different people. But uh, so I guess I'm, I'm just going to cut to some of the things that I get to in the podcast. Um, this is a little quicker version. But basically, do you, do you feel like, first, uh, I just want to ask, in your life, your existence as a person, not necessarily your career or your, or your interests, um, do, you, do you feel like you're an authentic person? You're true to who you are? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying <laughs> as much as I can. I mean, I believe like we are playing, I mean, we do play some social roles. And I mean, I'm apart from being designer, I'm also, I'm also a, a tutor lecturer at the university. So this is another role I'm playing. Then when I, when I work with community, I'm playing another role. So I'm, I'm trying to be authentic in, in like in all of them because uh, if they're, if you're not authentic, no one's going to believe you and the, the projects are going to be, they're not going to be your projects. They're not going to be your approaches. They're mm. going to be someone else. Mm -hmm. So I'm right. I mean, I think I'm, I'm filtering whatever it's around and all things read, see, uh, listen to. And then, and then through my existence, I'm trying to transmit what's, what's actually, uh, interesting and not interesting to me. Uh, but also like, uh, I do live in, I would say, um, I lose, I do speak three languages and I think like I, I live in three different, um, personalities, I guess. <laughs> based so on which language you're speaking. based, based on the language I, I speak. So if I'm, if I'm, I, I mean, if I speak Spanish and I've been living in Mexico for a couple of years, I, I'm totally different person, which is, uh, quite, uh, strange for me, but this is also, this is also me, but in another version, mm -hmm. because this version will not be, 
will not be um, I'm not sure if accepted, but understood in other conditions. Mm. So also, like if I speak English, I'm I, I'm I'm losing many of the um, of my parts because they will not be understood as me being Polish mm. or Spanish speaking. So um, so I think this is uh, this is like the multiple uh, personalities happening. Right. So it might be it might be also like some mental disorder, <laughs> <laughs> but I hope not. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, and then I, I ha always have a question I ask all the guests too. Um, uh, it's called the the two hypocrisy segment of my podcast. But I'm going to do, as I said, speed speed dating style. Two hypocrisy, like the recaptcha for authenticity, meant to be easy on humans, hard on hipster bots. I don't. I would love to find this example. I would love to find this example, but I really, I mean. I'm just I'm just feeling if I'm not doing something you know in the in the proper way, um, that's that's it's it's not going to be me at all. Uh, well, maybe there was like a project at like a second year of the university, mm -hmm. so they I mean I was so tired and they wanted me to do this project and I was like whatever just just I'm just going to do whatever they want, and of course it was shit. It was very <laughs> bad. It was very very bad. And I mean, I was I was clearly the nineteen, so I either I mean also nineteen in the first year of like second year of architecture studies. So either I didn't understand the topic, uh, either they didn't they, they were not able to transmit what is the idea behind the topic we were supposed to design. Mm -hmm. um, but I did something that was definitely not mine. It was bad, and I don't even know where the project is, and I don't I I just <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I would say it like that. I think that's, I mean, that's a real thing we all deal with is, uh, you know, I work primarily as an architect and trying to sell something that you don't believe in occasionally has to happen, unfortunately. And, and you just have to go on board. Like if a, a client wants to do something, you just have to go, go with it. <laughs> um, so I just want to switch over to uh, Rianzi for, for a minute and say hello again. Um, so sort of the first question I, I asked Adrian was... Um, just maybe explain your, yourself from your perspective first, kind of what you work on, and and, um, and we'll get into authenticity kind of after that. Mm -hmm. Explain yourself. The hostile segment where you explain you. Like you're on trial. Um, yeah, my name is Rienzi Gokia. I am currently a software engineer at a startup, fintech startup in New York City. I love building things, making things, just doing things. And so I decided to, uh, going into, into college, I was debating between mechanical engineering and software engineering. Um, and decided actually in college to study mechanical engineering. Um, but, because I wanted to have a like more, under, like I feel more and more people are going to software and not really understanding the physical aspect of things. So that's why I decided to do so mechanical engineering. But coming out of school, I didn't like the opportunities for mechanical engineering. And so I started studying, I started, I did work and I did a lot of work in software programming and doing different things through from starting from high school. And so I felt I was pretty competent and I built up a bit of a resume and started working as a software engineer. Um, I'm not super interested in FinTech and finance to be, uh, to be fair. Um, and for a long time, it took me a long time to find a job, but I didn't finally, I accepted the first, effectively the first place I wanted to, but the first place I wanted to was actually a great place and is a great place for me currently. Um, it was a company, small company that had small enough to 
that I can take on responsibility and take on a lot of responsibility early on quickly and learn a lot, but large enough to give me some mentorship and some guidance and stuff. So I found kind of like the, the sweet spot right there in, in, in terms of that. And I started working at this company and I've been there for about two years now. And even though it's not necessarily like the area I want to be in, I, for the most part, want to, for the most part, really enjoy it because I had the good team and good company culture around it. And I've been having a good time for the past couple of years. In my spare time, I play video games a lot. I like to build my own video games sometimes. I've had some interesting ideas that I've, I don't know if I can share now or whenever, since we're keeping it short, but um, that as a whole, as a high level is what I'm doing and what I'm, how I identify, I guess, as currently in terms of what, what I do currently. All right, so continuing there, yeah, you were talking, um, Renzi was talking about uh, some of the game design work, which I think is really interesting. Um, the one game I forget the name of that was more like, uh, more like uh, old school, sh like plain space shooter. Yeah. Like, what was that one called? It was called Epsilon Jump. Um, if you want, I can see. Yeah, Epsilon Jump was actually a game that I did release. It's out for Android and Steam. Um, it's a game that partially worked as a as a portfolio project and partially just as an interesting idea I had. Um, based on Pikachu's up B from Super Smash Bros, um, where he goes choo choo, like pretty the quick attack. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was an interesting mechanic, a difficult mechanic to like master, um, but an interesting one. And I thought it was like I could build like a whole game around this. And so I built this like uh, game about doing like warping between enemies, jumping between enemies, and uh, destroying them in a in an old style. But given my like mechanical engineering background, I could do some CAD work and some stuff, but like mostly basic shapes not like organic shapes so i felt that like uh having a retro style and a let thing let, let me build basically all of it uh, myself and show off my both as a portfolio project and possibly as a project that goes well i know um that was the overall idea for epsilon jump the name came from a game from an idea i had with my friends where in computer science theory where it would jump, an epsilon jump in like computer science theory is when you'd like jump from one state to another in like an indeterminate way. And we were joking in class, like the class is going epsilon jumping all over the place. We had no idea what the hell was going on in this class. Um, but the name kind of stuck with me and I thought it was an interesting name. I just I didn't name, name it that, so. Um, I'm just uh, constantly gonna excuse the background noise because we're in a, a shared space. And one of our other teammates just joined, and she probably doesn't realize I'm recording a podcast. Uh, Jaren is here. Hey. Hi. You don't have to be on if you don't want to. I'm just, uh, <laughs> as people I know are walking in, I'm saying, saying hi. Um, and um, Jaren is from uh, Turkey. And are, where are you living right now? Berlin. In Berlin. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people living in Berlin who came here, um, but are from different places. And uh, do you want to talk about it for a minute? Uh, anything? No. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, the Rianzi had another interesting um, idea for a game that's in development right now that I wanted to talk about um, because we were chatting. I, I wrote a play a few years ago about uh, synesthesia, which is, um, if you're not aware with it, it, it it's when you have overlapping senses effectively. So the best example. Uh, that I can think of is when you are hearing music, you can see or visualize colors. Um, it's really hard to describe and some people don't even realize they have it, but apparently um, 
more people have it um, than I, I previously thought. And anyway, so I, I always thought this was an interesting idea. So I wrote like a comedy, a short comedy play about um, how to date a synesthete and what, what like um, sort of superpowers synesthetes have and, and what that might be like. And it was kind of like a, a version of that in a play form. And uh, I was always fascinated with it. And then I saw Rianzi's presentation yesterday um, where he was talking about a game idea for a similar topic. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, a couple of years ago, I came up with a concept of a game about synesthesia. I was sitting underneath, uh, well, to start, I was uh, in school and my friend was playing the piano. We hung around the piano a lot. Um, my friend was playing it and I, we were just kind of screwing around in the lounge and I decided to like sit underneath the piano and he kind of looks at me funny and I says, no, I keep playing, keep playing. And he likes to do these arpeggios going up and down the piano, just improvising. And it was a in really, really interesting experience because it was like, I could really feel where the music was coming from. Like the high notes I can feel were coming from the left side and you could, and the low notes are, and you can feel, I could feel like a wave of sound going up and down the piano as my, as my friend was playing. And I could almost even see the hammers hitting the, the, the strings. And it was a really interesting, as a visceral experience, I guess. I don't know if visceral is the right way, word, but um, it was such an interesting experience. It's like, how do I kind of capture this experience, convey this experience? And I realized games, it are an interesting way and on top of that I knew I am very much into video games I've never heard about a game about kind of synesthesia and I realized this was a kind of synesthetic experience um, without necessarily taking LSD um, which is usually how people have synesthetic experiences by my uh, during my uh, in my research as I found um, but the yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted how to capture this, and I realized a game isn't is the best way, is one of the best ways to like capture and share experience, um, and so I decided to start a game, build a game off that, and so that out of that idea came the game Spectrum, an elegy for piano, um, where the main character has synesthesia, and in particular the one, uh, the sight and sound where he can see colors when he hears music. And I don't know, you want me to talk about the the, the plot a little bit of thing? Yeah, it's, uh, it follows this young boy, Timothy, whose parents are famous musicians, but before the, game, before the game starts, his mother actually dies. And I said parents, but his mother dies. And the music kind of stops in his life, and the color kind of really drains out of his life, because they were playing beautiful music before, and it was very colorful and grand, but kind of stops. And until he sees a bird for the first time, hello until he sees a bird for the first time in a long time singing and he sees color for the first time in a long time and it kind of inspires him to go out into the world and find the, the different colors and bring the color and music back into the into his life um and so i came up with this kind of really interesting beautiful in my opinion at least I, uh, idea um to come up and and thought it was a great uh kind of way to kind of express synesthesia and stuff and it was going to be a puzzle uh, adventure game based on this concept. I had a lot of difficulty kind of designing actual puzzles around synesthesia. I've had I had some things of like similar like Simon puzzles, you know, like like red, blue, green, mirror it, red, blue, green, someplace. But I didn't feel that that was like an interesting gameplay concept that you can explore for like a while. Um, it'd be interesting a little bit here and there, but not really. So I was having trouble and be, being in school, I. Uh, it was having difficulty also like balancing it and finding a team really to work with who were who kind of quite as 
um, engaged as I was with, with the idea, even though a lot of people really liked it. Um, it was, that's with everything. It's the, the, yeah, the founder's dilemma, I'd, I call it, but yeah. Um, cool, yeah, I think that's a good, um, yeah. that's a good game description. Um, I think a really interesting concept. I hope you have a lot of success with it. Thank you, thank you. I, um, I hear about yours. I actually find it interesting in my studies of synesthesia. Um, I hear a lot of, synesthesia actually seems to be somewhat hereditary. Um, and I've heard that a lot of families clash, lightly clash over what colors something should be. Oh, yeah. Adrian's leaving. Goodbye, Adrian. Goodbye. I, this is a very communal space. It's kind of an in and out situation, so I'm probably going to stop after talking to Ranzi and then maybe pick it up out in the breakfast area where there's um, less people there's running no to a bathroom. There's no breakfast area. There's like an eating area outside, but no food. Um, not today. So that's anyway. But the point is, like, they they clash a little bit about no, this is this is green. No, this is white. No, yes. this is blue. And so I thought that was interesting. Kind of, I guess you kind of touched on that with your play. Right, um, and I I, I have a friend, um, uh, Beth Higby. I'm. I apologize, but I'm not certain of her married name. She just got married, but she was a friend of ours in, in um, college, and uh, she was a music she had a music minor, I think at least, but very very skilled musician, and um, basically she was she had perfect pitch, but not in the way that most people have perfect pitch. In the way that she could see all of the sounds, and um, it's it's almost an easier way to memorize like what a C is, for example, or even chords looked sort of different to her because it was a combination of colors sometimes. And so you could you could kind of tell what was going on that way. Um, so yeah, I think it's a fascinating topic. I was curious um, to dive into like authenticity. I, I, also, another reason I like that is it's kind of you're trying to highlight what the actual experience may be like. And so it kind of is a little bit of like an authentic experience you're trying to highlight for a different population. Mm -hmm. um, what I find would be interesting though, I think Synesthes would actually not like the game because <laughs> of exactly what I just said. Like, oh yeah, be, it's like, like a conflict of colors. Yeah, yeah, they'd be like, so I'd have to figure out a way to kind of appeal to their to them as well. Yeah, like, like can you customize the palette? <laughs> I'd probably have to figure out a way to make it customize, to customize that so, right. that they, so that they wouldn't be put off by hearing a red note being green or something yeah. in their idea. So I'd have to... Because for sometimes it's like... It's, it's almost like um, colorblind mode. I'm gonna have to have synesthete mode. Where yeah, yeah, like what, like almost like ASMR. Like people who have ASMR, like they can be really grating if it's the wrong color. Yeah, yeah. So that's that is something I have to, I do have to keep in mind go, while I'm building the game. Yeah, and there's this, there could be like a lot of sequels in that in other forms of synesthesia. Um, there there are some really bizarre ones. Like one I thought was fascinating is um, there's one where you you can effectively like when you visualize someone else going through some sort of sensation like of touch, um, like their feelings, when you see that happen, your visual senses are tied to like your, um, I don't even know what you would call it, like tactile sense, uh, like touching. Mm -hmm. um, so you can basically feel their pain by seeing them in pain. Mm -hmm. So it's like someone gets hurt, you will feel the same pain. In a, very, in a very, in a very vis, like visceral yeah, yeah, is a good yeah. word. In that's a very a, visceral way. That's in like empathizers. I think very strong empathizers are, are like that. Um, right. The one, one weird one that I heard is uh, tasting friendships. Tasting friendships. Tasting friendships. Like your, <laughs> a relationship between two people, how you feel towards them, uh, evokes a taste in your oh, mouth. Wow. Um, or really anything with like taste, like sight and taste, anything that kind of, kind of weird um, 
thing with tasting French, which I thought was a, was an interesting one, where I've heard about where the person would would say, "Oh, I don't really, I'm we're a little bit salty right now, I guess." Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's all these expressions that exist that are like overlap senses mm -hmm. in the expression. So it's interesting to think that maybe that could really mess up people, as you said, who have like an actual experience with yep, it. Yep, yep. So okay, so as far as just personally. Um, Let's go into the, the deep dive question real quick. So uh, this is the two hypocrisy, I call it. Two hypocrisy, like the recaptcha for authenticity. Meant to be easy on humans, hard on hipster bots. I don't know. Um, I was thinking because I heard about the question. Is it this side? This side? I don't know which side is the mic. Um, <laughs> You're fine. Uh, yeah. yeah. I want to say no um i'm sure there are a few times that i've been uh that i have been not necessarily true to myself um but i strive to really at all times be honest with myself and, um at least be honest with myself like i said even though i'm not the biggest fan of fintech i'm still working in the space and i'm still working in the space i try and find maybe i'm rationalizing but no but the team is really great and the people are great um Rationalizing about why why I'm there, and so even though I'm not, even though I just want to sit home and play video games sometimes. Right. Um, it's interesting because I, I feel like I've, a lot of my friends in tech, um, specifically, like in in different technology and like on the creative side of it too, and and um, uh, development like game development, they seem to be people that are the most just like they don't even think of honesty or truth as something they worry about. Like it's just part of who they are. Like they because they're so focused on things being accurate and authentic in their work and their creative hobbies, doing it in their life is just second nature almost. I guess. <laughs> um, that, 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 is, that is somewhat true. I do, like I said, try to aim for accuracy. It, and, yeah, and, but it can be like a blunt thing to some people. It can come off as like, oh, they're being very blunt. I've said this before yeah. in other episodes where like some people who are, um, I, have, I have some friends that are very honest, especially with feedback and like criticisms. I've gotten, I've gotten better. I've learned <laughs> to te temper myself. I know what's like the hard truth and what is like the nice truth. Right. I've right. And, and that's like that. a balance in life um, that you kind of have to deal with. Right. Hello. Good morning. Um, there, I mean, there's one time I bullied a kid back in like middle school and I felt really bad about it. <laughs> and that's the only time I bullied someone ever. I like said he like, I like got into a talent show and he didn't, and I was like, "Haha, you, I got into a talent show." Oh. He, he felt really bad, and I was, and, I, and then I felt really bad, and then I was like, "Okay, I'm not going to do that again." Right. You kind of realized, um, yeah, maybe that's not a way to yeah. treat another human. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Oh, so, I'd say that's that's the one time that just stuck out in my mind in terms of being inauthentic. But other than that, I, tr I like I said, I try to be always as honest as me, I, as honest as I can be. Sometimes I try to like, I only tell, I like, don't lie as opposed to being honest sometimes. Right, um, which is it's sort of like a weird like workaround, but I understand what you're yeah. saying. I think a lot of a yeah. lot of the people I've talked to actually say something like that, where yeah. it's like I I will I just won't highlight something because I know it's going to affect someone in a way that might hurt them, for, and it's not worth it's not worth hurting someone's feelings mm -hmm. over something maybe that's not yes. as, as important. In terms of that, I tend to forget. I don't. I tend to not realize something in that that sense. But that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's but like sometimes I'd say something off the cuff, and I'd be like, and then. Uh, like a girl I was seeing was like, oh, like my mom didn't really like you that night. And I thought it was just a funny thing to say. And she's like, how, why would you say this? I was like, oh, yes. she was like, like so upset. It has like, so much weight, but to you doesn't necessarily, yeah. like it didn't really I didn't anything. think. I have to start thinking more about 
what I say, how it affects others, because I think I'm, well, cause we all are a little bit too wrapped up in our in ourselves. Right, right, right. Cool. Well, um, I really appreciate you taking some time to do this, especially while we're running around getting ready for everything here. Um, good luck. Thank I, I kind of half don't want to say that because you're my competition at the same time. Oh. oh, you do have like I think the the silliest team name here. Yeah, uh, the Umpa Lombedas, because uh, Lobeda, Lobeda. However you want to pronounce it, that's the town we're in, and they're they're the Umpa Lobedas, which is kind of like just a silly name, um, and I like how it rolls off your tongue. Uh, so cool, yeah. Good luck, and thank, thank you. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a yawn in the background from uh, Gilly Kaljevsky. Kaljevsky. <laughs> uh, we're gonna to talk to her in a second. This is the Two Hip Podcast. I'm gonna describe it because you're not familiar with what it is, but it's, a, it's about authenticity, being true to yourself while you're exploring your creative endeavors. <laughs> uh, so I think you have an interesting role versus some of the people I've talked to so far in that um, you are the organizer and founder of this event. Well, Karen is the founder and I'm officially the co-director. Okay, okay. So, but did you, was it like one after the other? Did he found it and then you stepped on uh, well Karen came up with the idea and he was working for three years to find the right uh, framework and funding to do it and then he found this framework and funding through the Batyam Biennale of Landscape Architecture that was happening Landscape Urbanism sorry that was happening at the time in Israel and when they funded his project he was looking for a producer and then he found me uh, okay so just really quickly can you um Aside from just what we're doing here, because I've kind of explained the competition a little bit um, already, but uh, can you maybe talk about just yourself? Explain yourself. Explain yourself. The hostile segment where you explain you like you're on trial. I'm an independent curator that works predominantly in public space um, since the last 10 years. I do. I co-direct this event since 2010, but uh, parallel to that, I also do other kind of urban design biennials and symposia and programs and yeah, a lot of programming. I don't really do exhibitions, but I still use curating as the prism that I look through. That's how you frame it, yeah. That's but this is I definitely um, not what most people would envision as curating, probably, right? No, but you know, in Europe, there's a lot of um, curators that deal with public space, that go around with planning, uh, cultural-led regeneration plans. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of um, collaboration between arts, architecture, and culture happening in public space and in city making. Um, and it's I'm not the only one. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. I'm not the only one. I okay. know. But you're I think you're helping to uh, spread this type of of. Um, design, I guess, and, and design and building all at the same time. And I think um, uh, we were drawn to, a, my friend Dan and I, and as well as our, our other teammates in the sort of group of friends we, we compete with, were drawn to the Gameful Architecture Competition that you did in uh, Vidin in 2014. Um, and we, we were mostly, as I said in, um, when I spoke last night, that uh, 
we were drawn to it because it seemed like an overlap of our interests. But the reality I've discovered of all these 72 hour <laughs> urban action projects is that there's a lot of overlapping interests. Like what is, uh, what's your process of, of sort of go to, going through all the applicants? Is that something you're specifically looking for? Because it definitely comes off that way in terms of the people we're talking to. I think public space is a tabula rasa where everybody can meet and discuss and that's the attraction to it. Mm -hmm. That's the, the desire to work in public spaces, the desire to work in a space where there is still potential for equality, still potential for um, eye-level meeting of different uh, diverse groups. There is still potential for uh, discussing new ways of living together. Oh, by the way, I'm trying to avoid the word new. Okay. So different ways of living no. together. No, I'm trying really to fully avoid the concept of new. You're right. Um, exactly. It's always changing, right? There Just is the, no the new. Understanding. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's always reinterpretations of something. Yeah, some and way. it has been appropriated by capitalism too much. So let's get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on board for that. Uh, okay. So so. Uh, so that's, sorry. Yeah. So that's my belief in public space that it is still holds the potential, even though privatization in cities is growing, even though uh, we're losing um, the fight to a uh, new style of nationalism. <laughs> um, yeah, we still believe that uh, public space is the place where we can uh, reverse uh, processes we don't appreciate within our society at the moment. So, so how do you feel like this... Uh, this I'm super hopeful about Friday for the future, I just want to say. Friday is the Friday end of... Friday for future. What is that? It's a, it's a European uh, youth uh, or teen movement that is happening right now. They started by um, Greta... I don't know. Ah, 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 it's that group. Okay, okay, yes. And everywhere in Germany and everywhere in Europe, mm -hmm. uh, kids are striking from school on Friday and yes. going to demonstrate for better climate change policy yeah. all over Europe. I didn't realize and the name. Massive. I've seen in the US media, I feel like it's mostly been her, just her name, the, the yeah, teen no, who started it. The face of, but yeah, I didn't realize that of, was the name of the movement. Okay. Of the young, uh, young people's attitude towards climate change at the moment. Yeah, that's, that is pretty amazing. They need to act on it immediately. So, um, I, uh, I wonder how, um, <laughs> I'm just curious, getting back to sort of the topic of the podcast itself, how authenticity plays into what you do. Ooh, authenticity is a big word. <laughs> it's a big concept. Um, when it comes to cities, authenticity was a huge debate within city branding for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think at the point where we are um, right now, in 2019, within the globalization project, um, authenticity and newness is something, um, both concepts that are not useful as a, as a rhetoric so much. Right. Um, because it's hard to know what it is anymore, is the point. Yeah, because we're mixed, we're globalized, we're, we are um, online, we are one community, we are one place. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there are differences, and of course, we should recognize those differences and celebrate them and find ways to uh, understand them better and better. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, we live in a global world. 
Good answer. <laughs> I, I, um, I feel like everyone tries to address what uh, authenticity means, but you, I like how you just kind of said that it's, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, <laughs> but no, that's, I, th I appreciate the way you um, justify it. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. There's another way to look at it, I think, that comes maybe a bit more from care discourse. And there is uh, this idea that uh, we need to move away from creating new things and to, towards repairing, maintaining, and mm. taking care of existing things. Which there's a lot of existing infrastructure, obviously. There's enough yeah. existing infrastructure <laughs> to for not have to make anything for a very long time. Exactly. Yeah. And so, why are we still buying new things? Why are we still making new things? Why right. are we still spreading? Um, Speaking of which, a part of this. Um, competition we, we got here and before the actual competition starts there's some introduction things or orientation events that happen and people settling in and uh, I love that when we, we walked in there are three bins full of recycled materials uh, one is wood one's metal one's plastic and uh, we were basically told that if you want something just build it <laughs> and uh, the tools are there and and we just put everything together made it it's all from uh, an actual um, recycling facility in uh, Lobeda and um, and I just love that like, that's, you're very literally um, practicing what you preach, which maybe not as many people in the world are doing, but I appreciate that you do that regularly. Yeah, this is um, um, courtesy of Umschichten, the design studio from Stuttgart that has designed and built this camp. And it is their uh, material approach uh, within their practice. They are doing a lot of pre-cycling uh, and they're doing a lot of uh, recycled material construction. Very cool. Okay, so I'm going to just go to the final question so you can get back to all your fun errands. Yes, go ahead. Just to come back to this kind of second point on authenticity that I was trying to make, it's that within the care discourse, there's also a lot of, um, a lot of areas of people talking about self-care and the relationship of taking care of yourself and taking care of your role within society and how those two things are related to each other and mm, okay. how they feed into each other. And I think the only authenticity that really still exists is this kind of like idea that communicating in a transparent, cohesive, coherent, um, practical, direct kind of way right. within your own practice <laughs> yes. is a way to relate to others in an authentic way. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's the core of what I'm trying to get at is what you're describing there. And, and um, especially coming through sort of the political situation in the U.S. right now was a little bit of an inspiration for this podcast and talking to people about this and trying to uh, highlight people that I felt like were, were always just being as open and uh, and transparent as they could be as who they were and that it felt like uh, I wasn't being deceived and, and don't think in the future I will be deceived by those people um, so yeah I, I just that was sort of the angle there so I think within this project 72 hour urban action it's also interesting because we are all very different uh, people running this project mm -hmm. so Karen is an architect I'm a curator Umschichten are designers um, and we have graphic designers as well and the idea is that all of us expect different things and, and read this project differently so for me this is a political hack and yeah and um, for me for example this uh, project is a political project and the fact that we take a year and a half to work with the administrative uh, level in any place that we go to and that we try to change the way that they think about what is possible mm -hmm. to make in right. their own city, in their own public space. 
um, and the fact that we try to bring um, aso local associations together with the administrative level using the festival format to kind of like create a better dialogue between the different levels of community organizing that is happening in a place. Right. For me, that's, and then trying to leave those relationships as part of the legacy of the project, that's for me, for example, one of the focuses. But if you ask my architect partners about their focus within the project, it's different. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we are all able to articulate and maintain this kind of focus, different focuses within one project, this is for me, an idea of authenticity, because that means that there is not one thing that this project is doing, and that's totally, totally fine. It just depends on who you talk to. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. I think that's a sort of a good note to end on. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to Gilly for being on the podcast. I will see thank you around. You. Um, we'll see you around, and I'm we. Not on the podcast. In <laughs> You're in the podcast. You're a guest <laughs> on the show. To be on, on the podcast. I guess that's true. Um, once the competition starts, though, it's going to be pretty busy. And then 72 hours of chaos. And we have an awesome thing at the end. And we'll uh, talk about it then. Thank you. Mm -hmm.